Are you an HR department of one trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, grab your coffee, and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottle, a 20-year human resource professional, ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to the Best Practices in Human Resource podcast, folks. If you guys are joining for the first time, welcome, welcome. I'm excited to have you here. We're going to have an epic episode as always, and uh, really excited that you guys are here. So thank you very much. And if you are a returning listener, you guys just rock week after week, time after time, episode after episode. Uh, thank you for walking the walk with me and joining me every step of the way. I'm getting a chance to actually meet people who are writing in on the podcast and having some fantastic conversations about things. And I'm going to share with you where that's happening, how it's happening. And, uh, and it's pretty spectacular. I'm here to help share with you the what in the how in human resources. And I'm in the human business. That means that there's a greater number of dynamics in the workplace to really find balance and manage with. Uh, but most importantly, today we are going to talk about everybody's favorite poster updates. Woo! Uh, we've got employment law changes across the nation that I'm going to share with you later in the show. I'm going to show, tell you where you can actually get access to this information. Um, our main topic today is using emotional intelligence to support your veterans workforce with uh, Arnez Barbario. She's awesome. She rocks. Also, we've got a spectacular special guest spot with um, the Honor Foundation CEO, Matt Stevens. You guys know you've heard me talk about it, that I this is where I do a lot of volunteer work. My heart is totally wrapped around this organization. I've met amazing people here. I cannot wait till you guys hear from him what this is all about. Um, we're going to talk about some uh, what we got going on, upcoming events, what's coming down the pike, and then also how to get best practices delivered directly to your inbox. Now, folks, before we go forward, that the information available through this podcast is, in fact, for informational purposes only and not for the purpose of providing any form of legal advice. You should contact your attorney to obtain legal advice with respect to any particular issue. If you do not have an employment attorney, reach out to me and I will be able to possibly help refer one to you through our affiliates program and our friends over in Jackson Lewis. So the good news is, is that we haven't really had any poster updates since the beginning of the March. But if you are just now starting to tune in, I will give you an update. We're going to go back to February. So in February, Michigan, Kentucky, Nevada, Vermont, Colorado, you guys had poster updates that kicked in and that went, those went into effect either going back to the 1st of uh, February or sometime within that month. No additional poster updates have taken place since uh, February, excuse me, since March and April or May. And uh, so that means that come mid-year, and it kind of depends on what's going on with, um, you know, general assemblies and state legislative bodies, that we will likely see more of these updates as we get to mid-year terms. Um, typically, January and July are the months where we see a lot of 
engagement and a ramp up of employment laws that have been passed. So more than likely, we're going to see some poster updates there. So now probably the biggest question that you have on your mind is, okay, so if I need to get a poster, where do I go about getting it? <laughs> it's probably the one thing that you're losing sleep over, right? Well, there's actually a place where you can get it and you don't have to worry about these folks sending you any crazy email saying that, oh my gosh, you're out of compliance, panic, 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 freak out. They don't do that stuff, okay? These are awesome folks. I've worked with them now for two years. Um, I know them directly and personally, and they're, they're really good people. So you can go to the Labor Law Compliance Center and their website, and you can actually link to them by going to the bestpractices.work website. Click on the Affiliates tab, scroll down, you'll see Labor Law Compliance Center. You're also going to see a code that is there that you can go ahead and use to get 25% off your poster purchases. You can only get that through the bestpractices.work website. They're good people. They get that information out to you as soon as possible, and you'll be squared away. All right, enough of that. Okay, so let's take a look at what's going on across the nation. We do have a lot of updates that are coming down the pike. Some articles we're actually going to post on the dedicated coronavirus webpage of the bestpractices.work website. So if you want to access this information or you want to review it for yourself, you guys are more than welcome to. So the Equal Opportunity has weighed in on uh, employer testing as it pertains to the COVID-19 pandemic. So if you guys are doing temperature testing, then the EEOC has weighed in on it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it absolves you from all the risk. It just means that the EEOC has weighed in, okay? Um, the Ninth District Court holds that employers may be uh, able to provide a standalone background check disclosure currently with other documents. So if you guys are doing uh, standalone background checks, then there is some information out there from the Ninth Circuit Court that might be able to give you that guys some assistance. Also, the use, you believe it or not, the U.S. Supreme Court will finally weigh in on the scope of Computer uh, Fraud and Abuse Act that has been on their dossier for a little while, and uh, we're about ready to get some updates on that as well. Also, uh, some states have created presumptions for essential workers to become eligible for workers' compensation benefits during the pandemic. So you may want to keep up to date on what's going on in your state specifically. Under OSHA, OSHA has released some information, and this is one of the articles that we're going to put up called Navigating Employer Obligations to Provide Employees with Masks and Face Coverings. Um, <clears throat> also in California, there has been supplemental paid leave uh, to be made immediately required in the unincorporated Los Angeles County area of the state. Over in Colorado, they have expanded coverage and the amount of leave under the health emergency leave pay, also known as HELP, and their rules. So you guys are going to want to double check that. Connecticut face masks are the rule in the Connecticut workplace. If you're in Connecticut and you don't are not up on this, you guys haven't yet opened, make sure that you, you tune into that. And then over in Delaware, the governor has issued an order imposing obligations on businesses regarding the use of face coverings as well. Over in Illinois, <clears throat> totally has nothing to do, <laughs> we hit one, has nothing to do with the COVID-19 pandemic. Illinois Department of Human Rights has released model sexual harassment training, so if you're in Illinois, definitely check that out. And then we're back to the coronavirus again. So Illinois Workers uh, now has compensation rules update, so workers comp update rules have been put into place in Illinois. Uh, and over in Illinois, there's a judge that has issued a temporary restraining order regarding 
that very same thing <clears throat> as a rebuttal, as the COVID-19 rebuttal presumption emergency rule. So there's a lot of strife going on as to whether people are, I mean, there's a lot of people that are actually trying to get covered under workers' comp as it pertains to uh, the coronavirus. Also, Kentucky has launched a healthy at work plan for reopening the economy safely, as with a lot of other states. Over New Jersey, the governor has signed a bill requiring the Title 26 hospitals to report demographic uh, data on the coronavirus as well. Over in Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court narrows independent contractor tests under the state unemployment law. In Virginia, we've seen a shift as well <clears throat> that we have actually enacted a work sharing program. And then also the Virginia minimum wage increase took effect on May, uh, excuse me, May 1st. So you guys are definitely going to want to check that out. That's what we got for news around the country. Everybody, I've got somebody a little extra special. Well, not a little. He's extra special as it is uh, visiting with us today. And you guys have heard me talking about the Honor Foundation quite a bit. And it is my privilege and my honor to have the CEO of the Honor Foundation, Matt Stevens, with us. Hi. How you doing, Brenda? I'm awesome. How are you? Phenomenal. Are you climbing, climbing the walls from staying at home so much? <laughs> I know I am. 100%. You know it. <laughs> I know. This is cutting into my uh, hugging time at the Honor Foundation as I am the biggest <laughs> hugger, as you know. <laughs> he is. That's true, everybody. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So everybody's been hearing me talk about the Honor Foundation over, you know, if anybody's been listening for a long time, they, they do know that I do work here. Um, you know, you and I met. You were, you were a graduate of the very first course on the East Coast when it came out. That is true. Yeah, I was lucky enough to attend the inaugural East Coast cohort. That's right. And if I remember correctly, you retired 23 years or 26 years? I spent 26 years in the SEAL teams. 26 years. And you, and you retired as a captain, and now you're back into a phenomenal leadership role. And, and I know as just being a volunteer, it's really great to see you at THF in the position that you're in. I think you're doing great things. Thanks. It's really come full circle, and I'm, I'm happy to be here and humbled to be part of such a high-performing team. That's awesome. So can you do me a favor? Can you please share with people your perspective from both being a participant and in, in the capacity that you're serving right now, what, what life is like at the Honor Foundation, what the mission is, and the direction that THF is going in? Sure. First, I'll say that all U.S. Special Operations Forces really operate at the tip of the spear. They're the vanguard of our nation's military, doing the toughest missions, they have the most rigorous selection, assessment, and training programs on the planet. And these, these are selfless servant leaders who operate in complex and dynamic team environments to achieve no-fail missions all the time. Whether you're a, a SEAL, a Green Beret, a Marine Raider, Army Ranger, Air Force Special Ops, PJ, or Combat Controller, you know, that's synonymous with the identity of somebody in those communities. And so for this and, and other reasons, 97% of the folks transitioning out of the special operations community say it's, it's the hardest thing they've ever done, harder than going on combat deployments and harder than the, the long family separations. So the Honor Foundation was created to, as a trans, transformative program to help these guys and ladies successfully navigate the career transition from elite warrior to the private sector and to find honor, purpose, and passion 
in their private sector lives, the next chapters, whatever it's going to be. And in a nutshell, that, that's what we do. Uh, I can talk to how we do it if, if you want to hear that. Yeah, that'd be great. So the Honor Foundation is a, a world-class transis- transition institute for the special ops community. And we do help them navigate the transition from military to uh, their next chapter in the civilian life. We do this through a three-month program, which provides tailored executive education, one-on-one coaching, access to a nationwide, nationwide professional network. Uh, it's built on the desire to serve others with honor for life. So their next mission is clear and continues to impact the world. And we provide the tools to uh, maximize their potential and prepare them to succeed on their own. So when you went through, what would you say was your biggest and best takeaway from the program? Well, when I went through, I had zero expectations, didn't know much about the program, but wanted to give it a shot because I hadn't thought about myself in about 25 years. And I figured that I could learn something from uh, an organization that was focused solely on helping people transition. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had a pretty good idea of what I didn't want to do. And the Honor Foundation really forced me to be very introspective, spend a lot of time thinking about what made me happy, not necessarily a team, but what was good for me and my family, and really drill down into trying to figure out my purpose on the planet post-military. It's pretty easy while you're in the military to, to figure out what your purpose is, because you put on your, your uniform every day, and no matter what you're doing, you're supporting and defending the Constitution of the United States. And uh, moving into the private sector where I had that choice, it was really tough to figure out what was going to make me tick outside of the uniform. And so the Honor Foundation's uh, whole first phase is focused around figuring out your why, figuring out how to talk about yourself in a respectful manner, and, uh, and really digging into that before uh, you try to attempt to get a job, a high-paying job that maybe doesn't fill your cup. So for me, that was the absolute biggest takeaway was, is drilling down at the purpose and for what was going to fulfill me. Mm-hmm. So there's a number of ways that companies can get involved with the Honor Foundation. And can you elaborate on a couple of those things? And one, one in particular is you guys are a nonprofit organization and, and donations to keep this amazing program going, even now, are, are greatly welcomed. And I know that that's, that's a focus right at the moment. Yeah, 100%. So uh, keeping the organization running on the fuel it takes to do this, because we don't charge the service members anything to go through the program. We don't take any government money because we want to maintain flexibility and agility in our programming. So frankly, uh, financial resources are our number one need right now. It's pretty easy to donate. Uh, Anybody can go to honor.org and there's a donate page there or you can reach out to my development director, uh, contact us directly and we'll, we'll get you set up. But we'd, we'd love to invite you to be part of our mission to do that. That's awesome. And we're coming up on graduation of another class. We are. We're Amazing. going to graduate 44 people from the Virginia Beach cohort next Tuesday, uh, the 12th of May. And, and you know, on that same day, we, we start the next virtual cohort. Yep. Yeah, so we've got we got four campuses technically. Well, not technically. In reality, we've got the Virginia Beach, we've got San Diego, we've got uh, down in North Carolina <clears throat> supporting Marscom, and then we also have the virtual campus. So we're now to a point where we're almost basically nonstop. 
Yeah, the, the Campbell June campus supports the Marine Raider community or MARSOC. And uh, anybody from the SOCOM enterprise is welcome to attend any of the classes. It's a little bit easier for folks not physically located where one of those three physical campuses to attend a virtual campus, which is open really to anybody. And uh, it supports a large majority of uh, our Army Special Operations brothers and sisters, as well as our Air Force brothers and sisters throughout the world. That's awesome. All right, King, so you heard it. So sponsorship, donations, uh, you know, time and resources. This is, this, is what, this is what the Honor Foundation is about. And we encourage our fellows to reach out and connect with different executives and different you know people in their fields of interest so that they can start learning about what they get involved with i know i get really busy around resume week <laughs> in virginia beach <laughs> you know but um but it's a lot of fun and it is probably the most one of the most fulfilling things i've ever done and and you know it's it's a thrill it's a thrill to get to see you there on, on a regular basis as well so well, thanks for all you do, Brenda. We really appreciate it. And we couldn't do it without the, the tribe of volunteers who support us, either teaching classes or volunteering as coaches and mentors uh, across the country. So thank you very much. Thank you. It's hard to believe that it's May already. It's the first week of May, and I can't believe it. It's awesome. I love I love this time of year. Uh, but what I really have an appreciation for around this time of the year is that May 16th is Armed Services Day here in the United States, and it's where we honor uh, those that are currently serving in our armed forces. And as we've been following along, you know that I'm heavily involved in the veteran community, specifically with Naval Special Warfare. And it holds a real deep, dear position in my heart and giving back to those that have, uh, you know, taken time away as part of their career from their families to stand the line and protect our country and protect our well-being, plus the well-being of other people that are innocent and those that are unable to fend for themselves, um, in my opinion, is just it's just an amazing thing. And I completely, completely appreciate everything that our current and past armed services and, and service men and women have done. So with that being said, for the month of May, we're going to be really talking a lot about discussions around how to support veteran workforce, um, how to, we're going to have a little bit later on uh, in the month, have a uh, Janie Livesay from the Honor Foundation come on. She's going to talk about, she and I talk about how to hire an elite warrior. We're going to have you know, a spouse come on talking about how employers uh, can best support um, any family members or spouses while their spouse is currently on deployment. And then we are also going to have a business owner who is highly solely dedicated to uh, hiring veterans. So it, we've got some really great veteran content for you guys to take away. And what comes with that, and this is why I want you to prepare you guys, is that what comes with that are going to be some pretty sensitive conversations. And you know, this podcast is very much about keeping it real. We deal with real time issues. We deal with real issues. We don't deal with a lot of ideology and the I wishes and the, you know, we actually deal with actionable things. And for those of you who are in HR, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You can't get something resolved on a wish. It's just not going to happen. And that means that you have to have uncomfortable conversations. So, in this episode, I've invited 
uh, Inez Barbario onto and onto the show, and she's phenomenal. She's a specialist in her field on emotional intelligence. She focuses on diversity inclusion. And for those of you who have been following along on the podcast throughout the series, know that I don't really talk a lot about what other people talk about. I mean, yeah, you know, we do cross topics and whatnot, but, you know, I talk about things that I see happening uh, out in the HR field. I talk about things that HR practitioners bring up. I talk about things that are problematic, that are some of the hardest things to talk about and to experience as an employer. And a lot of it surrounds our attachment and our emotions to how these things come out. So today's episode, I want to just, I want to make sure that I frame this appropriately. Um, bear in mind that, you know, I've, I have consulted now to nearly 500 businesses and I've talked to a ton of leaders. I've seen a lot of things done a lot of different ways. And I've heard some of the most amazing, brilliant conversations. And I've heard conversations that parallel at the opposite end of that specter where I literally have to look at somebody and go, are you, did that really just come out of your mouth? Seriously. And that's part of life. That's part of working with people. And that's part of being around others that have a different worldview. They come from different places. They have different beliefs. Uh, they have different value structures. And so in the context of my conversation with Inez, I'm bringing up a subject today that is something that people don't like to talk about. And I've seen it firsthand in my career. It was some subject matter that I had to address with a couple of veterans. And trust me when I tell you that these veterans do not represent the whole veteran populace. But nonetheless, I had a situation where I had a couple of veterans that, based off of their wartime experience, held a significant amount of animosity towards individuals over the Middle East and understanding that, yes, it was, they were up against a more radical mindset rather than uh, members of faith as a whole. I can tell you that our discussions were based around uh, corrective measures. It was based around helping them work through how do they work in an environment when they vehemently, and I'll, this is very honest stuff, they vehemently have hardships with the individuals that were, they were working with. And I know I'm skirting around words here and, and I apologize but this is a sensitive situation and I have to be careful because I don't want to, I, don't, I can't give out a lot of details. But at the end of the day, we had three veterans that really had a hard time working with individuals of foreign nationalities, all of them from the Middle East, and they had, they had limiting beliefs, but it was limiting beliefs based off of what they had seen overseas for their expend for their period of time. And it was difficult. It was a very difficult situation to be in. But I want to reiterate that when you're listening to this today, this whole episode is about using emotional intelligence to support your veterans in the workplace. This episode is 
not this little episode, not episode in the show, but the episode that I'm referring to of where we had to sit down and had some, you know, hardcore conversations with individuals doesn't represent all veterans. It absolutely does not represent all veterans, but there are some levels of animosity that exist within veterans who have seen wartime action. And if, if they haven't resolved that, it can carry over into the workplace. And in the instance that I had to deal with, that's exactly what happened. And it was hard and it was difficult and it was extremely uncomfortable. I mean, none of us involved in this were comfortable about anything. And it brought up a lot of questions. But nonetheless, we did wind up coming to an amicable resolution. The individuals in question after a lot of hard work, did actually drop their points of view because they were able to take time to actually get to know the individuals. And they certainly recognized, um, I think one of them had recognized that, you know, he really was not acting in the best interest of, you know, being a good citizen and being a good employee. Uh, The other two decided that, you know, they needed to go pursue other avenues and other ventures and you know we wished them the best of luck and everything was fine at the in the end but you know I want to be very careful I'm I'm not here to spin yards about what a particular protected class is or isn't I'm not here to plant notions in people's heads that a whole populace of individuals act and behave in a specific way because of something that has happened to them That's not something that I talk about. And I think if you guys have been listening long enough, you know what I'm about. It's about bringing real hard, difficult, tough people issues to light and giving you some talking points and some tips and tools and tricks that you can use to help work your way through that. So this is, and be honest with you, I, I considered actually not putting this in the segment, but the more I thought about it, And based off of that situation that I went through and that situation that I had to manage, it just resonated to me that it is real and it is something that we have to talk about because if we don't talk about stuff, it just gets swept under the carpet and it doesn't serve anybody and and there's no purpose to it. And any leader worth their salt knows that everybody's going to have differing opinions about everything in the world. And the goal is to get everybody to come to the middle so that we can all move forward. I mean, if that is the best case scenario that happens and chunks of information from this episode help make that happen, mission accomplished. So I just wanted to be very, very clear that this episode is not putting anybody down. This episode is talking about very loosely around a sensitive situation Um, that as an HR pro had to handle, I've had to handle a couple of situations of, you know, misconduct with veterans, uh, and some turned out great. Some didn't turn out great, but that's the nature of what we do in human resources. And I know we tend to want to push up the positive in our world because positive does make things go forward. But if you don't address issues head on, then you know what, you're, you're just going to be cyclical. So, so with that being said, you know, it is in the best interest and the best intention 
to provide you information that if you were to encounter a situation like this, how do you go about dealing with it? Because it could happen. I'm not saying it's, it will for sure, but it could. And it, and it's not just those who have currently served. It's going to happen, you know, the next conflict that we have in the future. You know, biases come up. That's, that's half of what we deal with in, in HR and leadership is biases. And it doesn't have to be based off of, you know, any of the protected classes. Biases just are based off of how we think things should be. And sometimes there are biases that are your Grendel and you have to go up against. And sometimes your biases are just very small and you can step right over them. So anyway, so, so this is my interview with Inez and thank you for listening to that. But I just wanted to make it very, very clear with the intention of that conversation coming up that you guys are going to be listening to. It's hard, it's raw, it's candid, it's real, and hopefully it will help you guys through if you are faced with something like that. Okay, gang, you notice I always seem to start these segments off with okay, folks, and okay, gang, I guess that's my thing. Anyway, so we've got Inez Barbario on the line, who is an awesome lady. Um, we are co-speakers over at the Eagle Rise Speakers Bureau. We actually really don't know each other at all, but <laughs> we recently did an online summit together, and um, and we've honestly been doing like laughing ever since we got on the phone this morning, so... Uh, she's a good lady, and she is a specialist in emotional intelligence. And as we are really kicking off uh, the month of May as a focus to armed services, and uh, I thought it would be really awesome to have Inez kind of talk about emotional intelligence as it pertains to working with employees. So welcome. Thank you, Brenda. Nice to um, be on here with you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're not doing it. We're not under a time crunch. Like we were. <laughs> right. I don't have my timer set on my phone for 20 minutes. <laughs> I know. I know two people who are known to talk and we don't, we don't, we're not on a time restriction. This is great. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so we were, we were kind of talking about, you know, emotional intelligence as it pertains to working with veterans in the workplace and not that, you know, veterans have, you know, higher needs than anybody else, but they certainly come from a different background. And I mean, just in general, you have to utilize emotional intelligence as it pertains to working with your employees day in and day out. So before we get down that road and we go down that rabbit hole, can you kind of share with folks, you have a neat background story about how you got started on this. And I, and I, I loved listening to it and I would love it if you would share it with everybody. Well, I've been studying human behavior for the last 14 years, and that actually started because I was pregnant with my second son. I was going to say you became a mother. <laughs> oh, no, the second time. <laughs> and my older son was 14, so I had a 14-year age gap going on there, who was going through that whole like preteen, miserable, <laughs> the yeah. next four years are miserable. <laughs> And then, of course, my husband, like, so trying to manage all three different, very different situations going on. So I was working on my master's at the time in education, and I started taking child psychology. And that's when I got really just like, oh, my God, like, you know, this is like, this is amazing. Like, these are the skill sets. These are the tools that I can use to try and manage all these different personalities and situations going on at the time. And so I kind of started that in an effort to kind of find a solution for me on how to manage everybody and my own sanity as well. And then as time went on, so I was a stay-at-home mom for a while. And then about four years ago, 
I was introduced to my mentor and good friend, Jen Gruber now, who has been like the queen of emotional intelligence for the last 20 years. And I took a certification course with her and just wanted to learn more about it, more about me and learn how to get, you know, over these self-limiting beliefs that I was carrying throughout my life. And literally it was a huge game changer for me. It was like, I kind of shed the old Inez and the new came out more positive, more optimistic, more aware of not just myself, but everybody around me. And then she kind of, you know, pushed me. She's like, Inez, you're really good at this. Why don't you make a career out of it? And I was like, who me now going even farther back? I'm a person that was super shy. I didn't even like to, when my husband and I first met, he would make fun of me because I was too scared to even pick up the phone and order a pizza. Okay. Like I wanted zero attention. Yeah, you could me. not convince me of that. Um, that's that's how you were. Actually, today's our 16 year wedding anniversary. So <laughs> he'll tell you himself. He'll be like, what happened to shy girl? And <laughs> yeah, the dead. thought of becoming a consultant, uh, becoming a speaker, getting out there to share my story, to help other people overcome their difficulties was just really foreign to me. Mm -hmm. But through her guidance, I was able to overcome those self-limiting beliefs and end up finding that this is something that I really love to do. Like I, I enjoy it. Like I like getting myself out there now. Now I'm always like, I still get those butterflies in my stomach, you know, two minutes, five minutes before I get up on stage. But literally the minute my mouth opens and that first word comes out, it just flows nice and easily. And to the greatest reward I get out of it is when other people come back to me and be like, thank you so much for sharing that story. Or I really related to this. And, you know, because of you, I feel like that, you know, I can make a positive change in my life as well. And that's what keeps me moving forward to continue down this journey. That's awesome. I think that's great. But you yourself have experienced some stuff in the past that you were talking about, mm -hmm. um, you know, because of your, because of your ethnic background, which is, I thought was really interesting. Uh-huh. Well, I'm Puerto Rican and Chinese. So another part of my, with, with emotional intelligence, I also talk, speak a lot about diversity and inclusion. Right. Um, you know, being a female, being a minority, my mother's an immigrant. <laughs> I used to be on welfare when I had my first son. I was a single mom at the time. So I had all these different labels, yeah, you know, yeah. that were attached to me and who I used to define me at the time. And you go through life living with these labels, thinking that's who you are because society has placed them on you. Where yeah. when you start really diving deep into who you are as a person, you realize now you define who you are, not the, the external sources at all. Right. But I think that's a great, but I think that's a great pickup point right there. So mm -hmm. go back to what you were saying about <clears throat> how society makes these definitions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we pull together EQI and we pull in, you know, diversity and inclusion, which I don't talk a lot about because I'm not going to say that it's not important. It is important, mm -hmm. but I don't talk a lot about it because it's so oversold. Mm -hmm. And, and it's like, every time you look up anything in HR, it's all diversity inclusion. Well, there's so much more to what we do than just that. I, so I don't really typically go down that path because everybody else is talking about it. I'm going to go over here and talk about what's important here too. Right. But I kind of feel too, the, for many years, the path that a lot of businesses took with HR was a very, just kind of like a blanket statement. Like, all right, everybody needs to get along. Everybody needs to learn how to work together Right. where they're not 
going to after really diving deeper into the individual. You know, we're not, we right. don't all have the same beliefs. We all have different experiences. We all have um, these biases. Like, you know, listen, we all have biases. Please yeah. don't, you know, don't think you don't. We do because we we're born with them. We grew up with them based on yes. our, you know, our parents, our teachers, our environment, whatever it may be. It's okay. You know, yes. it's just learning to recognize them. And I think Today, as we move forward with diversity inclusion, businesses are beginning to kind of like realize that there's a whole individual aspect of it. There's a whole empathy aspect of it. Um, I see like a, a lot of the big fashion houses suddenly the last couple of years have all these big diversity inclusion initiatives, okay, because they were caught doing things that, yeah, really, right? It's like they, everybody always wants to fix it after the fact, right? They want to like dump millions, actually billions of dollars into these programs um, throughout the country to fix it after the fact where it was like, you know what, you can avoid all of that if and save a hell of a lot of money if you learn to develop a strong foundation of emotional intelligence now as yourself as a yeah. leader, and then it will trickle down to the rest of your staff. Yeah, it's pretty, yeah, if you incorporate it as part of your culture and, you know, that's, mm -hmm. I, 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 quote unquote, grew up in, you know, from an HR sprout into someone more tenured, mm -hmm. no full plant, right? Um, but that was always part of everything. It wasn't just the, how do you deal with difficult people decisions? You know, what this law means, what that law means. I mean, really it was a huge part of our everyday was really taking into account that everybody has a unique worldview mm -hmm. and, you know, veterans are no different than that. And right. You know, really, if you think about a veteran, a veteran is very interesting in how they come into their, you know, career, their post-military career. They come from their original worldview, however it was that they were brought up. They, they were one of the North, South, East, West, you know, Middle Earth, whatever, right? <clears throat> Middle America. And, you know, even within the U.S., we have our own individual cultures. <clears throat> it's, you know, I, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and it's very, I live now below the Mason-Dixon line, two very different cultures, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so you've got people from the military that come into an environment where, you know, they kind of are forced to take their worldview and modify it because of duty and of you know, direction that they take, but then they get a little exposure to the world and now they go into another environment after their military career, doesn't matter how long it is. And now they have to adapt and adopt uh, their current worldview and figure out how they plug in and fit into this new environment that is not autocratic. Right. And that is weird for people <laughs> it's just it's strange it is. It, it, it is and it seems like our worldview is changing rapidly too so it's kind of hard to keep up with it right my father is a vet you know he was in the air force his entire life so he has a very structured way of living you know that's how we were brought up and he was i would say like he was more of my my foundation my rock on, on mm -hmm. discipline you know, because that's how he went into the military when he was, you know, just a teen because he had, he was, he grew up in the Bronx 
And his life was just like, he, he watches one brother like get involved with, you know, drugs and he had another brother. Like, they were just doing things that were not good. He's watching friends die from, you know, mm-hmm. bad life, life choices. So he decided to go into the military to make a better life for himself. Yeah, and thank God that, he did. that. Yeah. And that really affected him. But then, you know, once, of course, when he retired and do, it's like, it's a whole, you know, he has all these amazing life experiences, but now it's like, all right, that's now the past. Now let me kind of, where do I fit in now <laughs> after this? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a big question is that every veteran asks, where do I fit in now? I mean, that's mm-hmm. perfect. They, they will continually ask that. I mean, I, one of my best friends on the planet, he's been out of the Navy since, 2000 and see he and I met what we met in 2011 and he had been out he had just gotten out of the Navy I think 2010 and he still still has it in him in his system that this is not how we did it in the Navy and I'm like baby you've been out of the Navy for almost 10 years just adapt will you, <laughs> you know? right I think you've had enough time. <laughs> well, I think that's what like emotional intelligence really comes in too, yeah. to be able to look at different perspectives, to be more adaptable. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of it for better or for worse, a lot of us had that fixed mindset, right? Yeah. We think like, this is the way it is. And my way is the right way. Everything you guys are doing is wrong. And, but then the other side's thinking the same thing too. So when you start studying and practice emotional intelligence in your everyday life, you learn to have a growth mindset and say, wait a minute, there is more than one, two, three ways of doing things. There's different perspectives of things. Don't take everything at face value. Take your time to, to research, learn, ask questions, listen, understand. And we live in a society too that we become afraid to ask questions because a lot of times if somebody disagrees with you, you know, if they're not EQ based or open to different perspectives themselves, they may very well attack you. And that's a really uncomfortable situation to be in. Yes, it is. And that goes both ways too, because you can have, you know, to a certain point, anybody that served in the military is used to working within a team. Mm -hmm. And depending upon, you know, where you come in the military, some of those teams are, I mean, there's always a a quote unquote brotherhood, right? Yes. But then you look at, you know, uh, Naval Special Warfare, for instance, you know, that team, you know, when you talk about SEALs, which is who I work, do a lot of work with, I mean, they have each other's backs, even when they don't know it. I mean, they have that level mm-hmm. of confidence that this guy's going to have my back regardless. And then they go back and then they go into the world and then they recognize that that isn't so much true, but they, they, you know, their perspective is different because they have to, they're not just isolated within their own community or within their own operational group they have to also work with submariners and they work with you know air support and they you know debrief you know leaders of foreign nation right and ambassadors i mean and they work at the embassies and i mean they do things to where they have a more worldly view than most people at at, i'm going to say this i want to be very careful about how they say this not that they don't get a a wider view of the world they just have different experiences because they have to work collaboratively with so many different people, so many different countries, so many different influences that, you know, that their ability to do that is much stronger than somebody who's, let's say, for example, you know, grew up in the Navy, left as an E5 and 
only worked on aircraft carriers. You know what I mean? It's like, they're, oh, yeah. yeah, their exposure to things is a little bit different. And so that's all they know, or they got 20 years working in the fleet. That's all they know. And they work well, out. That's what we say too. Um, first of all, it's a really important word with experiences, right? Yes. We are all based upon are the experiences that we have in life, especially with the military, because even though just because you're in the military, like you just said, there are different experiences within the military, depending on your position and title that you have. And that we always say that too with emotional intelligence, you know, you know what you know. And, and, yes. and that's it. Like we have, we forget that sometimes because a lot of times we make, we have expectations of other people or assumptions that, well, why don't you know that? Don't you know that? Everybody knows that. No, <laughs> they don't. Yeah. I know. I have a client and they have one person that can't seem to fill out a damn time card. <laughs> I'm like, how do you not know this after working in the, in the industry for 40 years? You know, that's a little bit different. You know, that's just behavior, but, but it, you're right. It is, they, they know what they know. And now when they come into a completely, and they are institutionalized at that point, I think that's the key that a lot of people don't maybe necessarily take into consideration right. is that when you have somebody that is that institutionalized, mm -hmm. you need to take a longer path to getting them to where they are, where you need them to be. Yes. And I mean, think about even us who, who have not been in the military, right? How hard it is to change a belief system within our own personal lives. It could be anything. It could be something as, you know, raising your kids or, you know, your political views or, you know, whether or not to go to college, stuff like that. You know, we all have our belief systems. So when you, when somebody's trying to, to make you more open to another one, it takes us time to kind of like understand it. So obviously with somebody who's really been, you know, institutionalized in the military in that way, I mean, that they had to be that way to survive, you know, to protect our nation, to protect each other. So you can't just say, expect them to like change their views or habits overnight. It's definitely a long process. Yeah, it is. And, and you also have individuals that are reluctant to change because change is creepy and change is scary and it's uncomfortable yeah. and, boy, you really have to face yourself when that happens. And so, you know, every now and again, you'll, and this, and this is true just for everybody. It's not just veterans, but you know, when you're, when you're trying to get somebody to do something, mm -hmm. I think this is where you also have to really figure out how you use emotional intelligence to gain that, that required buy-in. Right. And it ain't going to always be pitched on the first time. <laughs> no, no. And that's when we have to really take the time to, listen to them, right? To listen to really understand. And because you can't just tell somebody to do something. <laughs> you have to understand what their belief systems and background and experiences are on their own. And it was only then that we can begin to understand ourselves. I mean, I've been, like I said, I've been studying human behavior for the last 14 years, uh, focusing on emotional intelligence the last four years. I've not mastered in it yet. You know, I'm still learning every day. There's a new experience coming my way that I have to ask myself. I actually welcome it now. I kind of look at it as a test for me. I'm like, ooh, okay, how am I going to manage this situation? <laughs> and it's kind of like, that's my, that's how I think it in my head to keep myself from getting triggered or upset with somebody who comes at me or has a different viewpoint than me. Rather, I'm like, okay, what can I learn from this? Let me take the time. Doesn't mean I'm going to agree with it, but it gives me the opportunity to learn and expand my mindset. Yep, absolutely. 
And it's interesting because we talked about this off off camera for a few minutes, mm -hmm. uh, offline, and that was um, not everybody wants to hear everybody else's perspective. <laughs> No. <laughs> and we're seeing a lot of that happening on social media right oh, now. Oh, Lordy. You know, with our situation and my way of dealing with it, like if, listen, if you want to have an open discussion, I'm all for it. But if you want to just kind of put like a passive aggressive, you know, like these memes seem to be really popular right now. And it's something that's coming from a place of like hurt or to hurt somebody else. I don't have time for that. I just yeah. mute. You know, I just mute, you know, but if you're open to say, Hey, listen, you know what, this is what I believe. And I strong, I believe strongly in this, but I'm willing to listen to you right. and understand why you believe, why you believe. Sure. You know, let's have a discussion. But unfortunately we're in this culture where a lot of people want to be right. You know, they're, they're, they're right fighters where it's like, no, 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 no. Like they don't want to hear anything that you have to say. And what's important to realize is that we can't change anybody. You know, we can't, we can only learn how to respond ourselves in a healthy manner. And sometimes you just have to accept that, you know what, this person's going to believe this and they're, they're not open to other people's perspectives and just accept it and be, you know, because when we set expectations on other people, that's where we're going to fail right away. No, I totally agree. And, mm -hmm. and, and we can, and we fail also when we set unrealistic expectations of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we, we are in our, our own worst enemy, right? The, what we, the, the negative talk that we give ourselves. I mean, oh, I, even, I catch myself doing it all the time. You know, sometimes I'll be working on a project and I'm like, you know, oh, but this person, like you, you kind of naturally like start like comparing yourselves to other people more successful than you or have it more together than you. And I just stop myself saying, no, 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 this is my story. That's her story, you know, and people have responded to my story and, you know, go from there. Yeah, no, I hear you. And mm -hmm. I think there's something else too that um, <clears throat> we can tie in some of the diversity and inclusion here, but this is a really compelling train of thought to go down. And I'm hoping it won't come back and bite me, but, um, but it is a real thing. And, you know, I'm all about talking about keeping it real and, you know, being the candor. But here's the thing you've got. So we have a very diverse we have a very diverse country, mm -hmm. very, very diverse. I mean, there's, there's very few cultures that we don't have mixed in and, you know, people of backgrounds and whatnot. I mean, now I got like, what, 11 nationalities and, oh, there's the, uh, there's the air blower. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that or not, but apparently the long guys are here now. So oh. yeah, because well, they get to be extra special guests. <laughs> anyway, um, but you've got veterans that have been, you know, part of Gulf War One, Gulf War Two, and if we take a step back and we look at, go back to what diversity was back after, you know, the close of World War Two. If you were to ask somebody, uh, you know, how diverse their workforce was, they'd turn around and say, "Yeah, we got a guy from the Army, we got a guy from the Navy, we got a guy who's a Marine over there, and we got a guy who worked in the Air Force, right?" That was diversity back uh, back then. And I remember that kind of mindset when I was a kid back in the 70s. You know, oh, wow. I grew up in a post-Korean War blue-collar town. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's what it was. But now we've got veterans who are coming out of service and coming into companies with individuals of faith that mm -hmm. they were up against. So, and I'll be very specific. Uh 
and yeah. that, you know, you have veterans that have been part of Gulf War One, Gulf War Two, um, the continuous fight against terrorism, and now they're in a workforce where you do have American citizen Muslims working. And, you know, it's no different than the vets from World War II that had animosity against those of Japanese descent. Yeah. And yeah. that's really hard. And, and you know what, even though here on our plane, since we haven't had to deal with that, I mean, as individuals, I didn't, I haven't gone to war, right? But as an HR pro, that's something that I keep in mind is that even though we, we're here to continually nurture and usher in diversity and inclusion, you're still going to run into situations where not everybody is going to have a level of appreciation for everybody else because of their biases. And that's something that you just have to work through. Yeah. I mean, that goes, that's absolutely, that's going to happen, you know, whether or not you're in the military or not. I mean, that's just part of life because again, you know, they are, based on their own experiences. I mean, they were fighting for us, right? right. Against what, you know, what they thought was wrong. And that goes back down to the, that individualism of learning to really understand. So we understand, right? Like you're saying, they have these biases because of X, Y, Z, you know, because of the war, because of this. And it's taken the time to understand that not everybody is the same. Not everybody is the enemy. I mean, it's really unfair to say that, but even though they're conditioned that way yes. and we have to understand what their experiences were and then try and somehow open the conversation to understand what, you know, that the people that you're working with now are not the enemy, you know, and be open to ask questions, like give them the opportunity to ask each other questions of why you feel this way and, you know, how can we work together and understanding a level of empathy. Yeah. Yeah. I, so right before 9-11, mm -hmm. um, you know, I worked with a gentleman who was of Muslim descent. He was from the Middle East and he was the funniest daggone guy you could ever meet. I mean, he was hilarious. That guy was a hot mess and he knew it and everybody and, and, and people liked him, but it took a while for people to get to know him. Yes. And then nine 11 happened. And that was one of the first things that I, that I watched for was how was he going to be treated? Yeah. Because let's face it, we get, I'm, I'm sorry, we have individuals that just go down that, just go down that path. Yeah. And, and, you know, I spoke to uh, the general manager at the time and I said, you know, I'm concerned about this. I'm concerned about how this is, how he's going to be, how mm -hmm. he's going to feel and, um, you know, what comes next. And we did have a few veterans that I remember kind of took a step back, but they kind of stepped forward immediately again. Mm -hmm. because they weren't necessarily part of that. But, but again, they just, you know, it was watching that instinct come into play. And I, and I never forgot that. I never forgot that. Yeah. Just watching that shift. And then, you know, he was a little isolated, but you know, then they bounced right back into knowing him that they've always known him as, you know? Well, that's because they had experience or a relationship right. with him already, which is important. And I, so I'm writing a book and Call Stronger Together. And the one girl that's in my book, um, I got to meet her years back. Well, she's half, her father is of Muslim descent and her mother is from Ohio. And right. so, so she looks just like a white girl. You can't, you don't realize she's, you know, half Muslim at all. And she was telling me this story about after 9-11, all the horrible things that people were saying about Muslims in front of her, but not realizing that she was Muslim and how 
painful it was to her yeah. and how when they were at the airport because of her last name, you know, that they were singled out. And she was like telling me the story, how they like, you know, took all their like luggage and just open it up in front of everybody because people were living based off of fear-based mindset. Yeah. It was yep. fear and it, fear is a natural thing. And, but we have to give it time to like, let it work through like our prefrontal cortex and say, well, what am I, what actually am I fearing? Do I really fear that this young girl is going to do something? Yeah. You know, maybe yes, maybe no. But there, you know, I think based on experience, we start learning better ways to cope and manage with these fears. It's, there's always going to be those that are going to be extreme. That's just the way life is. Yeah. But if we can be emotionally intelligent ourselves, then maybe we can have a little bit more empathy to understand where their fear is coming from and not take it personally. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I, and, and you it's just, hard. It's hard. it is, there's nothing easy about it. I mean, you know, if it, if it wasn't hard, we wouldn't call it work. Right. Right. So. Right. <laughs> Please listen. People are always trying to figure out what my nationality is. Like that's really the number one question I get. They look at me like, what are what you? Are you? <laughs> I like to mess around sometimes. Be like, I don't know, Irish. And they're like, huh? Like, I was nothing. <laughs> I, <thought it> was. <laughs> I, I make people guess, but you know, then there'll be people like, for instance, true story. I, I'm not, I like cleaning my own house. Okay. People are like, how can we not have a cleaning lady? I'm like, I just like cleaning my own house. I just really do. Right? It's therapeutic to me. And my husband like talked me into like finally having a cleaning lady after living in our house for 14 years. And this was like a few months ago. And he has this cleaning lady come in who actually did a great job. But then she starts talking about, I don't know, she's, she was Brazilian, but then she started talking about Puerto Ricans and how she hates them and <laughs> mean people. And I was like, oh, and I'm like, quiet. And I said, you know, I'm half Puerto Rican. You know, you're, you're talking about like my dad and my family. And she's like, but she didn't let up. She's like, yeah, well, they're terrible, especially the men. <laughs> See, that's an example of no emotional intelligence and not right. getting and, crap. You know, I was like, nice about it. I was like, all right, you know what? And then, you know, then she, then I understood where it came from because apparently she had an ex-boyfriend who was Puerto Rican and he was abusive towards her. So she just kind of put everybody together in that one, you know, the yeah. container there. So while I understood where her, you know, feelings were coming from, I personally just was like, uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> like, first of all, I didn't want a cleaning lady anyway. So it was a good excuse for me to fire her. <laughs> Well, it worked out in your favor there. Then you went back to cleaning your house. I like cleaning my own house. Thank you. <laughs> but people need to, but if you, you know, you need to be careful of, you know, what you're just blurting out in the world because you're going to be, I mean, I could have, what if I really took offense and just like started an argument with her, which some people would. So, and it, it's happened to me on multiple occasions. I guess maybe people don't really see the Puerto Rican side of me, like I've had people tell me to my face, oh my God, they're just so lazy, those workers. And they'll go on and on and on. And in the one conversation, the woman looks at me, she goes, by the way, you know, she's like, what nationality are you? And I just love answering. I just had a big smile on my face. I said, well, as a matter of fact, I'm Puerto Rican. And her face just like dropped. Uh, yeah, mortified. <laughs> yeah, but it's, I don't take it personally anymore. I just know that people are they experience based on what they know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I make people guess. Yeah. They start, I mean, the first thing they say, well, you must be Italian because you're dark haired. I'm like, nope. 
and I don't let them off the hook. And uh, <laughs> so I've got 11 of them. So trust me, if you can, if you can figure out half I'm of them, you're good path. yeah, you're on a good path. But <clears throat> what is it? So before we, before we had, you know, started today, and then this will kind of be our last thing, because I know you gotta, you gotta fly, but um, I love the title of the book because the title of the book was so great. I mean, it's so pertinent to everything that we're talking about, mm -hmm. but EQI is also about allowing people permission to feel yeah. as the name of that book is right. Yep. Mm -hmm. Not trying to control how people feel or you, how you think they should feel about something is yes. really being that respectful towards somebody on how they feel but mm -hmm. yet figuring out how to work with them despite how they feel. Yeah, I mean, this continues today, even at home. Like, you know, there's so many of us in lockdown now with the coronavirus and, you know, my son, for instance, he's 14 and he's saying he's bored, okay? He's been out of school for six weeks and he's like, mom, I'm bored. And like initial gut like reaction would be like, what do you mean you're bored? You know, you should be grateful. We have this home, we have food. There's so many other people have it worse than us. Where, but then every, but when you think about it, it's like, no, he hasn't been with his friends. He's been out of his routine. He's not with his sports. He has no physical social engagement with anybody other than us. Of course he's bored. It's okay. Yeah. So it's like allowing him to feel what he's feeling, allowing people to feel their pain, their anxiety, but not, we want to be able to voice it, but yeah. not like we don't want it to take over our lives. Right. Exactly. Well, this has been great. So where, where, so if people want to find you, how can they find you? Best way is my website, which is www.inezbarbario.com, which is just my name. That's awesome. And then do you have social media or? Yes. Uh, Instagram at I-N-E-Z-N-Y-C. I have a Twitter account with the same handle, but I kind of stay off of Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit too much negativity in there for me. And uh, LinkedIn. Yeah. I'm very active on LinkedIn, which is just my name as well. There you go. This is great. So I really appreciate you coming on. I'm, I'm really glad to have you on. And I think this has been, I think these are good nuggets for thought. Yes. For people who are listening to get out of their limiting self-beliefs if they have them. And, and we all have them. We but really kind of explore it. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. thank you very much for having me. It's been great. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. If you're like me, you are probably sitting here wondering, are they going to move forward with the SHRM conference or not, which is our national convention uh, for the Society of Human Resource Management. It's a fun time. I absolutely love going. I've gone to several. Um, I don't anticipate stopping anytime soon. It's where I get my moment to get recharged. I meet fantastic people. I see great speakers and it's just a really great time. Um, so right now, <clears throat> that determination is on hold. Uh, we were expecting the announcement to come out this past Monday. The announcement was that the announcement has been pushed back to Monday the 11th simply because uh, they can't make a determination until they understand what the mayor of San Diego is planning on doing. And that announcement is coming out this week as far as reopening San Diego. So if it's not going to happen uh, in June, if they do go ahead and determine that they're not going to have the convention or they move it to a virtual format, the next one will be taking place in 2021 in Chicago. And um, so we're just going to have to wait and see. But in the meantime, if you've never attended a SHRM conference or you want to learn how to make the most of upcoming events, 
Um, I have launched a new free course on the HR University called Making the Most of Your SHRM Convention, and it includes a free downloadable checklist to really help you get prepared for this. So you guys are welcome to go ahead and jump on, grab it. There's some pretty good nuggets of information. Again, it's free, it's complimentary, and you can watch it as many times as you want to, so that's not a problem. Um, so we don't have much in the way of announcements this time. We've got, uh, you know, we're just kind of waiting in the balance to see what's going on with the SHRM Convention, and and if it moves forward, then um, I haven't yet determined whether or not I'm going to go. I think it all depends on what comes out on Monday, and then I can, you know, think through other details personally. But um, I'm on the fence. Just to be honest with you, I'm on the fence. Um, <clears throat> if I do wind up going, then we're going to actually put together a networking event uh, to where if you're a listener, you, you're welcome to come in and, you know, bump elbows, cans, <laughs> but we may be bumping elbows and social distancing still and, and doing all that stuff, but um, we'll figure it out. We will find a way so we're not networking on Zoom or anything like that, but um, so whatever we're, we're capable of doing, we'll do it. So folks, um, normally we've been doing a little bit of an email me your HR question. Uh, this week, we're going to continue to forego it just for the interim. Uh, it is a part of our normal programming, but uh, I want to get you some really good information out today. But I do have an opportunity for you to join us to where you can go ahead and ask your HR questions. So last week, <clears throat> those of you, you know, like I said, you've been listening, you know that we have the Next Gen Women in HR community. And uh, last week, we held our very first HR roundtable. And it was phenomenal. We had 24 people sign up. We had 12 uh, people in attendance. Um, we recorded it. We had everybody uh, that ranged from, you know, newbies have only been in the role for the, you know, for six months to a woman who was there for 20 years. We had somebody from Canada show up and it was, it was awesome and uh, very excited about it. And it's actually going to be incorporated into something coming down the future, which I'm not yet ready quite yet to announce, but I'm getting there. And um, <clears throat> I'm getting there. I'm, I'm dropping that teaser. I'm so sorry, but I'm dropping it. And uh, we have another one that's coming up. And it is only open to those who are in the HR community. In other words, our next gen women in HR community. And we are going to be, we have a featured guest who's a spectacular guy. Um, his name is Brad Patrick. He just retired as the Chief Human Resource Officer for, and Communications Officer for Valvoline. He's got a tremendous career um, in, in executive level leadership and human resources. You know, VP of Delta Airlines during 9-11, uh, VP of HR. Well, he's VP of HR for Delta Airlines during 9-11, uh, VP of HR for uh, uh, Frito-Lay, Sarah Lee, uh, I think he was a CHRO for Gillette. I mean, just some very impressive organizations, and he's going to be on. Uh, he's a neat guy. He's one of my mentors, and uh, I just cannot wait for that. So if you guys want to be part of that, by all means, come on over to the Next Gen Women in HR community on our Facebook group. If you're feeling like me and you just cannot sit through another webinar and you're desiring that real connection, I mean like real conversation, a real time with real people, uh, that is what's happening. Uh, we're, we're rolling with these HR roundtables. Okay, so I, I told you I was going to hang, not tell you, but I'm going to tell you that we are going to continue with the HR roundtables. Uh, they're going to launch in June and I'm going to share with you exactly how that's going to happen. But... 
if you want to jump in on this one, it's going to be over in the Next Gen Women in HR community. Just check out our events page um, on, on the Facebook site. <clears throat> and I'm going to start announcing this throughout the month and in our email through the face and as well as the Facebook community. So if you'd like to get in on the know and kind of get that early bird announcement, please sign up on my email list and you'll have that opportunity to join us for an amazing event towards the end of May. But you have to get the information out of the site because this is it's just not an open thing. It is definitely part of the community. But you know what? <clears throat> All of this right now is what we really, really need is to stop absorbing information and start talking and start re-engaging and getting back into this connection. And the Next Gen Women in HR Facebook group really is that awesome place to start. And the member site is only going to get better. And it's actually starting. The monthly cost uh, is still going to cost you less than three cups of coffee a week. But we're going to change things. We're going to change it from having two levels within the membership site to, you know, the breakthrough of the enterprise. Um, had a chance to watch over the last several months what you guys are interested in, what you're not interested in. And we're just going to do away with split level. We're going to only have one, one basic membership site. It's going to cost you less than three cups of coffee uh, in a week for the whole month, which will be great. So keep listening, signing, uh, make sure that you sign up for updates and information that I'm going to be sending out over the next few weeks. But we are going to be introducing a whole new level as well. And with that being said, if you want to figure out how you guys can follow me and stay connected, you guys can follow me on Instagram at Facebook at Best Practices in HR. Over on Instagram, you can find me on Brenda the HR Lady. Over on YouTube and LinkedIn is uh, just you can... Find me on uh, Brenda Neckbottle. It's just N-E-C-K, like the thing you want to choke. V as in Victor, A-T-A-L. You can also catch the new show that I'm doing with Suzanne Lucas, who is the evil HR lady. We had her on a couple weeks ago. We are now doing the Real HR Show. It goes live every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. And if you miss us, then you can catch it on the replay. And that is at uh, therealhrshow.com. And finally, you can reach me over at the bestpractices.org website as well. Make sure, though, that you click that connect button at the top of the page and get my best practices delivered directly into your inbox. So thank you again, folks, for joining me on another really awesome show. I'm, I'm so glad you guys are here. Thank you for listening through to everything. You can certainly see why. You know, I wanted to frame the first segment or the second segment of the show properly and carefully because we definitely want to make sure that we have, you know, the right information and, you know, we're taking away stigma and, and doing all that fun stuff. So, guys, look, have a great one. Um, stay tuned. We got really cool stuff coming in the next couple of weeks. And again, uh, everybody who has served and is currently serving. We really, I really want to thank you for your service and your dedication to this country and helping uh, all of us sleep safer every night. Take care, guys. I'm out. We'll talk to you later.